Hi, everyone. This is Howard Tierski, and welcome to another episode of the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. We are going to have a great conversation today because I am joined by Tabitha Dunn. Tabitha is the Chief Customer Officer and Head of Customer Experience and Global Sales Excellence for Ericsson, the $25 billion global telecommunications firm where many interesting digital transformation-related things are going on. So I can't wait to dive into that with you, Tabitha. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. And is there anything you'd like to uh, add in terms of your background that you think the listeners should know before we dive in on uh, various topics? Sure. Um, so I'll briefly just share that, you know, I have a long background of human-centered change and transformation, and Ericsson is the fifth time that I built a customer experience practice from the ground up. And... I think I've lost track of how many different types of transformation that I've undergone. Um, some of them have been fantastic, some mediocre, and some not so great. And that's probably pretty resonant with a lot of our audience today. Yeah, and this whole task of building a customer experience practice, uh, I know, and I'm sure you know, but I'd be love you to describe to the, the listeners a little bit like there's many facets to that it's not as simple as finding a bunch of talent I mean that's important of course well, what do you find if, if someone's listening and is going oh I need to do that I need to build a customer experience practice what are the uh the key steps to go through and any pitfalls that you'd want to warn them about oh sure and so you know customer experience has has six core disciplines and think of this as it's not just important for customer experience but employee experience as well and the first one is strategy. Strategy is super important because it's defining what's your North Star? What do you want your experience to become? What's your roadmap and priorities for closing the gap from where you are today and achieving that vision? Um, then you have culture. Um, for many companies, you know, they want a more customer-centric culture, but they're not exactly sure how to achieve that and how to make that authentic. And so a lot of the work you do in a, in a CX practice and program is how do you build that customer-centric culture? And the third area is around insights. It's both qualitative and quantitative research, really understanding all the segments of your customers and what drives their needs and behaviors. And then you have governance, always the fun one, I think. Nobody likes to sign up for governance, but it's super important. It's the discipline of really integrating your transformation efforts across the business, making sure you're not duplicating effort, as well as it's ensuring that you keep up with really critical requirements around data privacy and information handling across the globe. And then you have journey mapping, really that understanding what you want your journey to be for your customers from the point where they become aware of the brand all the way to, if you do all things right, um, they become advocates on behalf of the solutions or services that they get from you. Um, and last but not least, you have experience design really being thoughtful about using, you know, that type of design thinking and service design to really drive effective change. And um, it's one of those things that often gets missed out of digital transformation. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things I've loved most about my role at Ericsson is that I have responsibilities in customer experience, but I also have responsibilities in employee experience. And that's a lot of what I bring to the table for the work that I do in partnership with our digital transformation teams. Great. Oh, I love that model. That's fantastic. And uh, so often when people think about building a customer experience practice, it's experience design that they kind of in their mind think mm -hmm. this is the totality of it or the vast majority of it. And I can understand, you know, customer experience, experience design. You know, I can mm -hmm. sympathize with the misunderstanding, you know, linguistically, but I, I think you're absolutely right. It's so much more than that. I think that's a great model. 
Um, can you elaborate a little bit, though, on it sounds like there's a lot going on at Ericsson in this space. What are some of the kinds of uh, customer experience things that you guys are working on? Any in particularly interesting projects that you can share? Yeah, I think that, you know, I can't share the specifics of current projects, but what I can share is that, you know, Ericsson, when they began their digital transformation journey, started from the right place. They really were looking for what are the things that are going to help us as a business um, be most operationally efficient, as well as what are the most significant pain points for our customers? And where do those two things intersect? And how do we then use that to prioritize what things that we should be changing? For many companies, when they begin that digital transformation journey, they start with, oh, I want some cool technology, or I want to be able to you know, digitize my customer experience, or they're looking for just sort of process improvements. But what I really think is effective about the way that Ericsson is treating this is that combination. And in fact, every initiative has some element of, as we move through making these changes, how will it change the customer experience? How will they ensure change it for the better? Are we working on the right things for our employees? How will they materially have a better experience doing this work? How are we removing steps from them, you know, their work? We're not just adding a new digital layer, but also we're we using the right type of technology that really will suit the most effective way for us to solve this problem now, but additional problems in the future. And I think that that approach, um, for many companies is a great way to be able to think about it's not digital first, but it's digital integrated into the experience for all the humans involved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, good. Several follow-ups I want to ask you about all that. <laughs> um, the, I think the first I'll ask about is you've talked a couple times about employee experience and then obviously customer experience. And of course, it sounds like a nice thing for employees to have a good experience as well as customers. But is there some more profound connection between employee experience and customer experience beyond just they may use some of the same skills and they may involve some of the same types of design patterns and things like that? Is there some connection between the two of them that's important? Well, ultimately, every transformation out there uh, has to encompass change management. And the people you're asking to change first are your employees. And so if you're not looking at how do I not just tell them, oh, you're gonna do this differently tomorrow and you're gonna use this other tool tomorrow. But instead, how do I think about bringing them along for the ride and ensuring that they really understand that there's something better in this. Um, for many of us, we've used plenty of our processes and, and tools in our company. And as you go through to do that process, you might be thinking to yourself, there are better ways to do this or this technology really is awful. Um, but you don't want it to change. And for many people who are leading digital transformation, they struggle with, but I'm giving you a better tool. And why aren't you excited about that? Well, it comes down to, I knew where all the buttons were. I know exactly what pull down to do. I, I had the crappy process memorized. Now you're asking me to go learn something new. It's going to take me longer. I have to figure out where all those buttons are now. And you haven't told me when I actually learn that, how is this going to be better for me? Um, probably one of my favorite projects in an earlier company I worked for um, was we needed to improve our customer portal. You know, when your customers log in, for some of you, you're lucky and you probably have one landing place for your customers to go. And that's where they could do any of the integrations, any of the tasks they have to get done with you. Um, but um, 
most of you might be stuck in the, oh, well, I have to log in here to do support. I have to log in here to do onboarding. I have to log in here to do this task. And the customer then has to remember all these places they have to go. So the project we were doing is let's update our current customer portal and let's bring all the places the customer has to go into that one place. And it was owned by six different functions across the business, not counting the technology team who really owned the underpinning of that. And it took a lot of work to bring all those people to get together to the table and say, look, I want to make this experience better for our customers. They find it really frustrating. And for most people, you think, well, that makes it a good argument. We should go fix it. But the best part of that case for change was I'd spent time with all those teams. And for each one of them, I had figured out what part of updating the portal or using the portal on the employee side really sucked for them. And I said, as part of this project, we're going to make your part better as well. And they were like, well, then we're all in. I mean, then they wanted to, they wanted resources. They wanted to be able to participate. They wanted to engage because I wasn't just going to make it better for customers. I was going to make it better for them too. And then we were going to upgrade the technology, which the IT organization had been dying to do for a long time, but couldn't convince anybody to really participate in the upgrade process. And that is, you know, for me, what was so rewarding about doing the project is because everybody got something valuable out of that and they really wanted to be a part of the change as a result. Yeah, I, I think that is such gold uh, and I couldn't agree more. I've been around, down this road many times myself on projects where, you know, we're replacing an old green screen system with a cool new, you know, <laughs> modern interface and it's easy to think who on earth, you, you know, you, you want to believe it's almost like when you hear some of these political things, you know, like that, the invading companies that the country thinks they'll be greeted as a liberator, you know, like how many times have we heard that? Right. And then, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> you think you're going to the green screen people and bringing them this wonderful new thing and you'll be greeted as a liberator. And they're like, you're going to get that green screen out of my cold dead hands, you know? And, and, uh, <laughs> I think I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. I, I like to think of it almost as a kind of a humility that I always I think that's a, a good way of thinking about both customer and employee research and just to say, listen, you know, just because I think it's a great idea doesn't mean everyone's gonna think it's a great idea. And it doesn't even always mean they're wrong for them. Like as you pointed out, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I know just as one example, when we replaced a big property and casualty system of one of the big uh, you know, car and auto and home insurance companies, you know, the people who work there who had learned to use that darn system, they had job security like you wouldn't believe because it took like a year to memorize all these crazy commands. So, I mean, not only did we need to help them understand why it was better, but I felt like we had to be honest with ourselves and admit that there are some ways that for them as individuals, it was not better. It was, it was a sacrifice for them to give up a certain level of job security and that sense of pride of like you, 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 you hit it on the head, you know, that they've learned where all the crazy commands are. And that's exactly what was the case with those folks. So you really, you know, reminded me of that. And that's, I've been down that road multiple times with this specific issue of green screen. So you're, you're, you're so, so, so right. And I think, you know, I just want to underline something else you said, which is, the reason why some change is needed may be very different for different segments, different groups. And just like we segment our customers and recognize that we don't need, you know, the, what's great about the, for the call center about something may be very different than what's great for the sales force or what's great for marketing or what's great for the product development or whatnot. So uh, taking the time to say, wait a minute, I have to, like what you just described doing, I think is, uh, is absolutely critical. And uh, that ultimately is, I think, one of the big success factors of any transformation is whether you've brought people 
so true. Most people think, well, that's just going to take much longer before we can even get started with the project. We can't afford that. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't afford to fail at the end. And if you don't take this time now, then you're, you're never going to win. And that's probably one of the reasons why for all of my teams, I require um, them to all become change management certified so that they genuinely understand the ad car model that ProSci talks about. And they really go, I can't just start as knowledge of time to go fix this. I need to start with awareness of the problem. Do we agree it's a problem? And then build desire together that we all want to change. Then we can get to how are we going to change and start doing the project and, and the knowledge. So it is probably the number one reason why teams really fail in any type of transformation initiative. Yeah. And that, and that need for speed, I think is, is a, is a key one. And I think, you know, I see parallels, you know, right now we're talking about the context of change management, but I, I see the same around, you know, you mentioned one of your seven sort of pillars of customer experience was the insights and the, the research to understand the customer. And I think that's a similar thing where sometimes I feel that pressure from companies that want to move quickly and they say, oh, fail fast, you know, or whatnot. You know, we don't have time to do all that. Let's just get a product out there. And I feel like it's this Goldilocks thing because, like, there's also analysis paralysis, right? There's also, we're going to spend three years studying the thing before we create a product. <laughs> but then there's the flip side that says, you know, we don't want to delay three weeks in order to do, like, a rapid customer, customer insight study because we, we think we know. So we're just going to move forward. And, and I think finding that right balance is key to so many of these things because I believe that so much of what we do is much more about psychology than it is about technology. And I feel like you do too. And I'm so happy to be talking to you because I don't hear that a lot. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm saying that and everyone's looking at me like, mm, I don't know. I would agree with you. It's probably one of the things that I, I do a lot of coaching and mentoring and have the opportunity to really listen to the challenges other CX leaders are facing um, and many times I've asked them, you have this incredible empathy and you've done all of this insights work with our customers and you're gone out there. You've really learned what your customers need. Um, what empathy and insights work have you done with the employees and the leadership in your company? Can you tell me what their needs are? What did they value? What do they think is important um, and how that matches to, you know, the work and the case that you're building? And many times they're like, well, no, that my job is to bring the customer to the table. It's like, yeah, but who else is at the table? Yeah, so true. And so often a key part, like I know part of your role is responsible for sales and sales obviously can be from a human or, or be responsible for sales excellence. Anyway, uh, uh, some of sales, of course, happens not with a human depending on the product, but especially when you're talking about bigger deals, B2B deals, so often you, of course, have that human component. And so, yeah, if they're on board with it, then you're, uh, you know, you're, you're aligned. And if they're not, you know, I've worked with companies that were trying to bring digital product, telecommunications companies, among others, and technology companies that were trying to bring digital products to their B2B customers. And then when you talk to the salespeople, you hear, I don't know if my customers really need that. I'm not sure I want to sell that. I don't really understand that product. So I'm much more comfortable selling these other products. So I'm not really exactly. going to talk to my customer about it because I don't want to look foolish because I don't understand it. You know, and it's that same old resistance to change. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that many companies do that, right? They, they do the great product marketing. This is why the customer should buy it. This is, you know, how the product is ready to come to the market, but they haven't sold the sales team 
on how to do this and what needs it really meets for their their customers. And so many times the sales team is like, well, just because you gave me a quota on it doesn't mean that I'm going to deliver. Right, right. And especially going back to the same issue of digital transformation, and I would imagine that this is a, a factor with products from Ericsson and although many companies, is that when not only do you have your own organization's digital transformation, but when your product is a product, you know, like let's take 5G, right? You know, is a product that tends to drive digital transformation within other companies, then to some degree, not only are you selling digital transformation within your own organization, but part of what you're also selling is something that is an enabler of digital transformation for whoever buys it. And so you've got this sort of multi-layered challenge of <laughs> overcoming resistance to change. And of course, transformation, let's face it, is just a fancy word for change. It is indeed. And I think that's also why you see the rise of so many customer success functions in companies this, these days, because the heart of a customer success, you know, team is really about understanding, okay, my customer needs these things. And this is what, you know, they measure for success. This is their strategy. These are their priorities. And here are the products and solutions and the knowledge we have inside our company that can help our customer deliver on it. And they can really connect the dots to you've bought X, Y, and Z. And here's how you could do more with each of those things to achieve the, the outcomes that you really want as a company. Saying that to your customer, but really building that up so your customer success team knows how to really help that customer with value realization is incredibly important. Um, and many times, it's, if you don't have a team like that, then you're ending up with the sales team's like, well, I did my job, and now it's the customer's job to go figure out how to you know, make that really work for them. And when you're doing digital transformation and you're the one who bought that technology, if you didn't have a customer success team to help you with that value realization and go, oh, wait, if you do this, that will actually help you do that, then they're really excited because then they can do more with what they purchased as opposed to figuring it out on their own. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we see, I think, the birth of a lot of the idea of customer success teams came from companies that have like continuity type business models, you know, like a Salesforce mm -hmm. or somebody that really recognizes that, well, just because I got you to sign up for something at, you know, $1,000 a month, you know, it doesn't, it's, I haven't really sold it yet because you have to keep with it. And I, I, one of the things I notice is challenging and I'd be curious if what your experience has been is that when the product isn't sold that way, when it's more traditional package software where most of the money is up front or it's a piece of equipment or something else that there's not, it's, it's a harder sell to the organization to say, even though the customers already paid us, we should continue to spend money to make sure that they realize the value from what they purchased because there's not as obvious of a connection to, well, we don't want them to cancel. Yeah, I would agree with you. They, they feel like they have less skin in the game. They've already made the deal. And, you know, they onboarded the customer. They're fine. Like, we did what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that everybody in customer experience understands that happy customers that actually get value for what they spent will be happy to buy from you again in the future. Um, makes the salesperson's job a lot easier, <laughs> um, but it's not always easy for companies to see the, the tie to that investment. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So with respect to digital transformation, and I know you've, as you mentioned, been involved in many, I'd like to just get your thoughts on the definition of success. You know, sometimes these are phrases that are thrown around across broad portfolios of projects. 
I hear these statistics periodically from Forrester or Gartner, you know, 72% of digital transformations are a failure. What some percentage or another percentage? Um, you know, and of course, I think the reality is quite complex because there's lots of things going on and some things work better or worse at any given company. But how do you define the success of digital transformation? And if you're in the middle of one, how could it's like it's like if you're in the middle of a football game, you can kind of tell if you're winning or losing. <laughs> Look at the scoreboard. <laughs> how do you tell if you're in the middle of a digital transformation, whether you're on the path to success or not? Well, I think that it your metrics and your goals can actually evolve as you learn more during a project. So being in the middle of it and changing course is not the disaster I think some people expect it is. Um, whether you're using more traditional metrics or you're using something like objectives and key results, um, if you start out with saying like, here are the humans that we wish to affect with change, and you baseline, you know, here's the pain points that they're experiencing. So maybe, you know, you have this process that you're going to digitize uh, more effectively in the future. You've actually evaluated, okay, let's say it's onboarding. So I've done a number of onboarding initiatives and you said, we're going to change the experience for this segment of customers. When they buy, This is, they're going to be onboarded this new way. And some part of that onboarding is going to be in the product itself. Some part of it is going to be done by the salesperson. Some part of it is going to be done by customer success. Some part of it is going to be done by support. And within those teams, like let's say in support, it's going to be you're going to have a project manager. Um, then you go, I need to then say these people are all the ones that are going to have their experience changed what needs to change for the better and what do they need in order to successfully make that change. And then you have set out what those metrics are. How do I measure that? And if you don't have a measure, then you need to get a baseline. So you will be able to measure at the end to define this is success. I think for many companies they are like, well, I, I implemented the new technology. I'm successful, right? but they don't understand why adoption isn't working well or, you know, the people are unhappy using it. That's why it's because it didn't start with the technology is the vehicle people are using to get something done. Um, so a great example was when we were doing this with, with Concur and we were working together to do a significant improvement and change in how we onboarded customers who were in the small and mid-sized business space. Can we you just found so that, people know what, what just what what concur is. I'm familiar with it, but if you sorry, tell so concur is together. is travel and expense management technology. It's it's that you know um, whether it's a, you use the application or you use the one on your desktop. It's how you update your expense reports, and how you get paid for them, or how you book your travel. And every company customizes it their own way to map to their processes. Um, and what's interesting is that onboarding is where the the company decides, the people in the company decide, here's how I'm going to structure it. And that's the little process, the little habit trail that we go to complete our expense report. Well, we were looking at those small and mid-sized businesses. And one of the insights that came out of that is the people who purchase and are really responsible for installing that new solution in their company in a smaller mid-sized business wear many hats and probably don't have a large team or maybe no team at all available to help them with it. And in many cases, they're not doing it in the eight to five business hours where they can have time with their project manager to work on, oh, here's how I want to structure this. Or do I really want four layers of approval for the expense report? <laughs> like they're not even talking about best practices because they're just trying to get it you know, structured. And 
the challenge came with us when we realized the project manager was like, I can't get time to the customer. The projects are taking too long because the time between meetings is too long. And then we have to catch up with where were we last time? So we actually spent time with the customers saying, okay, the project managers are giving us this insight. It's very frustrating for them. They're trying to do right by customers. The customers are saying, I don't have the time. I'm like, well, when would you have the time? So instead of trying to go, well, we're just going to make you do it or, you know, which some companies will do, or, you know, we're going to assign you tasks and you just get it done whenever. I, that's what we want to know. When would you have the time? And it was surprising. Like we had customers saying, you know what? I've, I've worked my regular work day. I've had time with my family. I just put my kids to bed. I have an hour that I could spend doing the configuration of the approval flow. But I can't do it because I don't have my project manager with me and I have no idea how to do it. And we're like, oh, well, how about if something walked you through that, setting that up and making those decisions and recommended to you what you could do and you could do it for yourself inside the product. And they were like, well, that would be great. I would do that. I said, or you could do that task later with the project manager. You could pick. I would love that choice. And I said, you could get it started and go, nope, this is more complicated. I have questions. You could send your questions through that inside the product. And your project manager could pick them up the next day and go, oh, yeah, I can help you with that and send you your answers. It was changing it around how both the project manager and the customer were working and how they could work together, both, you know, asynchronously and synchronously changed how we did both the product design, how we did onboarding, and even how we structured the onboarding project teams. Because then we had to give them less time for customer meetings and more time for doing offline advisory, catching up in the morning with all the customer questions that came in from the evening before. Those were measures of success though, because we changed how they operated and how they worked. And then we shortened the time to onboard and they spent less time doing the tasks they needed to do on both sides. That's success. I, I, I love that example because it, it highlights something that I've observed so often, which is the interplay, the so valuable interplay between quantitative KPIs and more qualitative insight-oriented research. Because what you're telling, what, you, what I've always observed is the numbers so often tell you what, but not why. So you've got this KPI that says there's a certain amount of time, but we're supposed to have people going through certain onboarding activities and they're not doing it. But you, you don't know why. You just know that they're not. And so then you need that next step to say, okay, well, now we need to talk to find out. And then you find out, well, they're putting their kids to bed. Whatever. You know, they have these very specific things that, that the numerical part of this is never going to explain to you that, well, this is because the kids come home from school and they don't have time to, you know, but that they could do it at night. You only learn that when you go talk to people and you say, hey, what's going on? Um, and then mm -hmm. obviously you then come up with an idea like you did. You implement more of a wizard or whatever it is that, and then you see the KPIs change or you don't see them change. And then, you know, oh, I guess that doesn't solve the problem. Um, I think that's such an important back and forth interplay between the sort of quant and qual side of customer insight. And I think that story is just a, a great, great real world example of that. And it told us what to measure then, right? It wasn't like time on task. It was really, you know, were the customers able to do it in the time frame and the times they wanted to do it and letting them choose was a measure of success mm -hmm. and enabling the project managers to not feel like, well, I've got 50 emails from customers when I get in the morning, but I also have my whole morning is booked with customer meetings. That doesn't work for them either. And that's where a lot of companies make the mistake. They might get that customer insight and they'll fix the customer side. They didn't change anything for the project manager who now has no time to answer 
those offline questions from customers. Yeah. And so it was yeah. really important to connect the two and how we measured success. Yeah. You know, it's making me think another thing I like about that story is one, one of the things that I always observe is that some people have this emotional response to KPIs. You know, it's this feeling, the tyranny, the tyranny of the KPI. The KPI is not your friend. The KPI is there to judge you. And so then when the KPI <laughs> isn't good, you know, uh, it's hard, you know, that, yeah, there's that phrase, you know, facts are friendly, you know, but you can say that, but like most people don't buy it. You know, like it's like if they're sitting there and like, well, I'm supposed to have this KPI and I'm below it. They're, they're like, they're, you know, they're like, we should pick a different KPI, you know, like this is, or, 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 or they're looking to excuse it. Or it's like, oh, you know what? Apparently customers don't want onboarding because they're not doing it. Let's stop measuring ourselves by that. I mean, it sounds funny, but like I've been in so many of these conversations, like why do we pick that KPI? We picked it because it's an important indicator of success. No, 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 it's not going well, you know. But in fact, what you're demonstrating here is that, you know, when you, you intelligently pick the right KPIs, if they're not hitting what you want them to hit, you know, that's an indicator of something that you can find out more about figuring out how to do something about and be more successful, more genuinely successful versus the pretend success that comes by cherry picking your KPIs to be able to show that you're <laughs> successful, which is, I, you know, I have to, I don't mean to sound cynical, but like a lot of, a lot of times, like that's the natural inclination, you know? And uh, mm -hmm. I think to be able to show that, you know, you don't have to do that to get to success. You can stick with the KPI and use it as a tool especially if you add on additional methods of getting insight to figure out what, what you need to do about it. Yeah, one of the most common mistakes I see um, is companies using customer satisfaction or NPS, um, not just as goal setting, but they, what they do is then they put financial rewards on top of it. They say, like, oh, you get what you measure, but then you know if you reward that, you'll get more of the right behavior. But instead, if I could add up the thousands of hours I've seen a very creative gamesmanship to try and get a better score as opposed to doing the work to improve the score. It, it, it's just incredible to me because it's, you're rewarding the wrong thing. So you, in essence, are then measuring the wrong thing. Instead of saying, yes, I'd like to improve. I want those scores to go up. Therefore, I should actually goal people and reward them for what did you do to improve? Not the score, but instead, did you take this customer pain point or this employee pain point and how did you solve it? And therefore, for that segment of customers, were they happier? You measure the right thing. You don't measure the whole thing, but instead, I made it better for this segment. And yeah. then yeah. you did your job, and then we'll reward you for that. And it's a very, you know, people are like, well, that's hard. Mm -hmm. True, but you get better outcomes as a result. Instead of asking people to go, well, I want five points higher in our customer SAT score this year, you figure out how to make it happen, and we'll reward you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm shocked because I just noticed that we are nearly out of time, and I did want to just—it's <laughs> been like whoa, we just spent 30 minutes. It's hard to believe, but um, uh, I did want to just ask you as a kind of a closing question: any other, you know, so often, you know, we've been talking about measuring success and a little bit about what to do when you don't see the success that you want. At least in this one example, any other examples that you've experienced or you've seen? Th this is one way something can be unsuccessful, right? You know, you've sort of misaligned with, in this case, kind of the, the delivery mechanism of something, right? It's only available during certain hours. It doesn't work for everybody. Are there any other examples that might have been of a, a different sort of underlying root cause and remediation techniques? If, you, if someone finds themselves in the middle of a digital transformation that just 
isn't going the way they'd hoped. How do you how do you diagnose it? And what are some examples of what you can do? Maybe if it's not the particular problem we've been talking about with the Concur product, other other issues. I've been uh, the sponsor, like the executive sponsor, or on the steering committee for many transformations over the years. And my first indicator that something is going wrong in that transformation is if I have several project update meetings in a row where all I see is agile roadmaps and deliverables and they're showing me you know, technology previews, but I haven't heard anything about how is the process changing? What steps have you eliminated before you automated them? Or, you know, what's the workflow going to be like? And how are the employees' experience, you know, changing? How's the customer? If I'm not hearing all of that as part of every one of those meetings, in addition to the technology, I know something's gone wrong because it's pretty natural for us as humans. As you talked about psychology, the technology, when we're being pushed to deliver, that's the easy part. So you can hit all these goals. Your team looks great. Look, we hit another milestone. Look at our great release. And But you're like, well, okay. But how did the changes go for the people? Oh, well, we trained them and we communicated to them. It's like, well, that's great. But what actually changed? What If I look at those workflows side by side, how is this new workflow better? Well, look, it's in the fancy new u- user in- interface. I'm like, well, I love a really good user interface as much as the next person. But if they just went from 15 steps to 32 pretty steps, you did not <laughs> achieve your outcome. You know, they should have gone from 15 steps to five pretty steps. Then you really achieved your outcome. And that, you know, to me is usually where the teams are like, wait, what? I was like, why am I not hearing that? Why are you not telling me that? Ah, we eliminated that because we automated that step. Fantastic. That's what I want to hear. Um, so then you know your your digital transformation is way off track if all you're looking at is roadmaps and deliverables and arguing about what gets priority in the queue. You are definitely missing the whole yeah, point. Yeah, and 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 the, your point about technology, I know. I I, I think that uh, this is also a. Um, that's right. We're, we're a little bit of a fallacy that people believe that just implement the software, implement the technology and we'll get the transformation. I think it's a fallacy that I know you've worked for some software companies, so no offense to anybody, but <laughs> software, software companies tend to sort of lean into this and say, oh, if you just buy my fancy software, my marketing automation software or my business intelligence software or whatever it may be, my you know ERP software, um, that's going to be transformational. And of course, we all know and they know and everybody knows that, mm, you know, that's like saying, just go to Home Depot and buy a bunch of tools and you'll be a great carpenter. I mean, obviously not. Um, <laughs> those things are helpful and important, but obviously it's not the whole story. But uh, I think we all can allow ourselves, because like you said, we want to believe that because that sounds like a much easier solution. Just write a check versus the hard work of actually changing people. But it's mm-hmm. it's almost, uh, don't don't buy into it, you know. Whether whether it's a software salesperson trying to fool you or whether it's your own wishful thinking, you have to be careful not to buy into it because it's it's just not a path to ultimate success. Exactly. It's very true. Great. Well, I know we've sadly consumed our time, but I want to have to give you an opportunity if there's anything else. Uh, you know, people listening are fighting the good fight every day the way that you are and everybody is driving, building UX teams, customer experience teams, 
driving digital transformation, facing no doubt all kinds of problems and challenges. We can't talk about them all in a half hour, but any closing thoughts or, or words of advice for people that are listening who are you know, struggling to achieve some of the kinds of successes that you've been able to successfully drive? I say that transformation uh, is really a journey you all have to take together. And I, I use an analogy saying that if you have to get from one side of a mountain to another and you have a whole group of people you need to get with you, to go that path. And even if the best path is this tunnel that goes straight through the mountain, it seems like that'd just be the straight, fastest, easiest path. It's the wrong path if you're gonna lose anybody along the way. So if you have to circle the mountain and go up and down it 15 times before everybody gets to the other side with you, um, that doesn't matter because that's the goal, is that you are going to do this together. Um, and if you are focused on, no, I just need to get to the other side of the mountain, and then you win and they lose. And that means ultimately you didn't win. And so make sure that you go back and you keep everybody with you along the journey. And they'll help that project outcome be better as a result, no matter how frustrating and messy it is in the middle. It is always worth it when you get everybody to the other side. And it turns out to be a much more rewarding process. And I don't know about all of you, but I learn a lot along the way. And that makes it even more worthwhile. Amen. Couldn't agree more. I love everything you're saying. It's great to speak to somebody who I, I just feel like we're on such the same wavelength <laughs> on so many of these things. So I love having people on the show who think differently than me, but it's also just a joy to hear, to hear what you say. And I'm like, yes, that is so true. So. <laughs> it's a good thing I love to do this. And it's clear you love to do it too. Yeah, yeah. It is a great privilege to be able to do these types of projects. And I often feel, I feel very fortunate to live in this time. You know, when there's so much change, yeah. so much digitally driven change, you know, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to get to be a part of. So, well, thank you so much, uh, Tabitha Dunn, for joining us. Uh, really been a great conversation. And as always, thanks to all of you out there for watching and listening the Winning Digital Customers podcast. Look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep transforming, but be sure you bring people along. <laughs> thank you.